Matthew 13, 45, and 46 read, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Hello and welcome back to Think This Way, the podcast of Faith Bible Church. My name is Bryce Beal. I'm one of the pastors slash elders here. And today I have with me another pastor elder, Dan Gielock. Thanks for being with us, Dan. Hey, it's an honor. Thank you. Well, we are continuing our quarterly focus on discipleship, although we're getting closer to the end of it. Our next quarterly focus, starting in January, is going to be on the Holy Spirit. So I am genuinely looking forward to that. It's kind of a subject that's, uh, it's an awesome subject in the literal meaning of that word. So we'll consider that next year. But for now, we're continuing this focus on what it means to be a disciple. And two weeks ago, I think I lied to you in that podcast. I said we were going to talk about the pain of discipleship, and then next week, the pleasure of discipleship. But it's actually two weeks later, so forgive me. You liar. I know. But it's all good stuff. And now we're going to talk about the pleasure of discipleship. Oh, good. <laughs> and um, we've kind of been talking about the pain and pleasure of discipleship all the way through, but it seemed worth it to give it two focused episodes on this. So just to start out here, before I get to a question for you, Dan, since we're talking about pleasure, this is a quote that comes from a book written by Graham Cole about the Holy Spirit. and. The quote goes like this, quote, There is in moral philosophy a paradox known as the hedonistic paradox. And here's what it is. If you seek pleasure, you won't get it. Pleasure is produced by seeking other than itself. So the hedonistic paradox, and I'll explain why we're talking about this, If you're thinking about pleasure, the hedonistic paradox, and I'm glad someone smart put it in words like that because I wouldn't have thought of those words, but boy, it does describe an element that I've experienced, I'm sure anyone's experienced. That is, if you take something pleasurable and you reach out your arm directly to try to take hold of it and invest yourself completely in it, eventually it's not really pleasurable anymore. You could think of maybe an extreme example of someone who turns away from the faith completely goes out and decides to just live up a worldly life, and let's say they just indulge themselves in sexual immorality. Well, there is a physical pleasure and other sorts of pleasure to the sexual relationships, and so they will experience some pleasure, but if you trace that life uh, just a few years, I mean, sometimes less than that, but just a few years out, the person who has fully invested themselves in sex for pleasure They are not living an overall pleasurable life. It stops yielding the same kind of pleasure you had at first. I think that's what King Solomon found. I mean, absolutely. That's what he says in Ecclesiastes. Yeah. That he tested himself, said, I'm going to try this out. And he realized vanity of vanities, all is vanity. There is a diminishing law of returns. Same thing could go to something more refined, Like for us in a local church, if you make the local church about how good it makes you feel to be there, and it should make you feel good to be there, Um, you know, you see friends, you see people you're close to, there's joy, but if you make church about that, if you say, I'm going to use church primarily to get that, you'll no longer get it. It withers on the vine. 
So that's the hedonistic paradox. If you just go straight for the pleasure, you never end up with the pleasure you went straight for. I say this because when we're talking about discipleship, discipleship doesn't at first look like a pleasure. It's not like a chocolate cake. It's Jesus saying, you have to take up a cross, follow me, you're going to experience hard things. But my argument is, and I believe it's true, given the hedonistic paradox, discipleship is really a roundabout way to get pleasure that works better than going at pleasures head on. You try to go at pleasure head on, you don't get it. But this is a roundabout way where you make your life about following Jesus, and that includes many painful things, and yet over the course of your life, you end up receiving more pleasure, more satisfaction than if you tried to go straight at small earthly pleasures. I think it's what Jesus meant in Acts 20, verse 35, when he said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. You would think it's more blessed to receive, but no, hedonistic paradox, if you just try to receive, you will not be that blessed. It's more blessed to give. And a life, a life of giving as a disciple following Jesus is more satisfying. Dan, this leads me to a question I have for you. Since we're talking about really um, direction in life, you can live your life fully for immediate pleasures, or you follow Christ and it's hard but more satisfying for you, Dan, how is your purpose in life or your direction different from before you knew Christ? Well, um, you might be surprised by this, but I'm going to quote some songs. Mm -hmm. um, one is, All I Have is Christ. Mm -hmm. I once was lost in darkest night, yet thought I knew the way. The sin that promised joy and life had led me to the grave. I had no hope that Christ would own a rebel to his will. And if he had not loved me first, I would refuse him still. But as I ran my hell-bound race, indifferent to the cost, he looked upon my helpless state and led me to the cross. I'm reminded of the quote, I don't remember whether it was Lewis or Spurgeon who talked about us piddling around in a mud puddle, being fully engrossed and enjoying that, but not even knowing what a wonderful vacation by the sea would be like because we're pursuing lesser pleasures. You know, another song that Mike Schaus, one of our dear brothers and elders here at Faith Bible, introduced had the words, I was an orphan lost at the fall, running away when I'd hear your call. I was in darkness all of my life. I never knew the day from the night. I swore I knew the way on my own, head full of rocks, a heart made of stone. And like the stone that Jacob put his head on. You know, my head was harder than that rock. And instead of coming to the church to feed my wicked, sinful desires, I come now to worship the living God and seek, instead of trying to engage people in my rebellion and race to hell, to build up the saints to love, cherish, and honor Christ. The pleasure of discipleship is not always seen in the immediate context. I'm thinking of the passage from Hebrews that says that all chastening, all discipline does seem hard at the time, but afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. And to me, drawing near to God, his pleasure, his joy, the likeness of Christ, 
to me, that's the greatest pleasure of discipleship that you don't even know at first. Absolutely. And it is interesting because those song lyrics describing pretty well for both of us and for almost anyone before you know Christ, when you're, what does it say? Your head full of rocks, heart full of stone. But back then, we were living for immediate earthly pleasures. And so on the one hand, if we're thinking, shouldn't our life have been more pleasurable back then? Shouldn't it have been more wonderful back then because we were so dedicated? I mean, that's what our life was about. Then you come to Christ and you deny yourself of many earthly pleasures that you were indulging in before, and you would think that the consequence would be a miserable life. At least that's what Satan whispered in my ear before I knew Christ to try to convince me not to. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, Think about the passage you just, you know, read in Matthew, the, the pearl, the pearl of great price. Forget everything else. I mean, the man who finds the riches in the field, just sell everything else. Get rid of it. Let's let's go get that field and, and the treasure that's buried in there. And that treasure, of course, is Christ. This is kind of a pleasure of a higher order. We're not talking just about immediate physical pleasures, not the low-hanging fruit, the easy stuff. We still enjoy that. You eat a chocolate cake. It's delicious, you know. Um but we're talking about pleasure on a higher level almost, a sort of satisfaction, which is not foreign even to unbelievers. I think of, about people who enter the military without knowing Christ, but they go through excruciating physical pain just as a part of training, and then they put themselves in danger of even more pain, but they're doing it for some higher satisfaction, ideally, some higher satisfaction. And for us, like you said, the highest satisfaction is Jesus himself. And I believe I've quoted this by Bonhoeffer, and I probably will again before the quarter's up. But Bonhoeffer, when talking about costly grace, said, such grace is costly because it calls us to follow, and it is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. That is the higher order pleasure that we receive from being followers of Jesus, so that even though we have to sell all we have, even though there are Trials, tribulations, difficulties, pains, some of them exclusive to being a follower of Jesus. It's worth it because we receive this pearl, which is Jesus himself. But Dan, when we're talking about having Jesus as our treasure, as this pearl, some people might be confused by that concept. It's a little vague. What does it really mean for someone to have Jesus? Well, I I think of the line that says, I am his and he is mine. The fact that Christ pursued me as the good shepherd. And though I was lost, he, in his kindness, pursued me. And he gave me that incredible ability to see my wretchedness and to see my great need of him and his beauty and so when he captured my heart and when he transferred me from the kingdom of my own sin and and freed me from my my own wretched estate where to go back to that quote i was too easily pleased with you know unsatisfying things um that aspect of being purchased out of the slave market of sin and that he is now 
not only you know my savior but he also inexplicably indwells me has given me his spirit has brought me into the presence of the father by his righteousness by his merit not in anything that i've done and so it's very much like the pauper who now all of a sudden is ushered into the throne room and elevated and that's really what the scripture talks about so to answer your question what does it mean to have jesus it means to have life he said that he is the way the truth and the life and it means to instead of living in darkness instead of living in death and having the sentence of death upon myself it is a full and joyous liberation it's such an easy thing to forget because as believers now there are times in life where you may feel restless so the midlife crisis or just wondering what your future may be or you're going through a trial and you're a believer and and you have christ as your sacrifice you may feel restless but you kind of take for granted that there are many people going through that same experience and also they don't have Christ. And so it doesn't mean to have Christ, you're never going to feel any dissatisfaction or suffering. But it is a, it's hard to put in words, but it's just a very different thing to have Christ and to have to experience that. There's a, there's a deep sort of satisfaction we have even when we're st- struggling. This kind of gets into this next point, um, what some might consider mystical. But I thought it helpful to mention, when we're talking about having Christ and enjoying Christ, there is a sort of mystical element to it. Something, if we're using that word correctly, there's a sense that we commune with an invisible being, Christ, you know, God himself, Christ. And there's a joy to be derived just directly from that communion, even apart. Because there's so many things that we enjoy as Christians, the promise of a resurrection, you know, and the Holy Spirit's intervention and help in fighting our sin, and on and on and on, our inheritance. But there's a real sense in which part of the pleasure of being a disciple of Jesus is apart from all of those things, just communing with Jesus himself. I have a song to quote as well, Dan, but mine's not as well vetted as yours because I don't know a thing about the guy who sang this except that it's on my Spotify playlist. (laughs) So nobody be upset at me if this is not a good guy. I have no idea, okay? His name's Cody Barnes. So maybe you know him, maybe you like him. I don't know him. I don't know him. But this is on my playlist and it came to my mind in thinking of communing with Christ. This is from a song called Nothing Else. Here's just a few of the lines. He says, I'm caught up in your presence. I just want to sit here at your feet. I'm caught up in this holy moment. I never want to leave. Oh, I'm not here for blessings. Jesus, you don't owe me anything. More than anything that you can do, I just want you. That is an important part of the pleasure of discipleship, even if it's hard to put words to. I think you did a good job doing that. It's more than just what Jesus gives us, but communing with Jesus himself, which is difficult to explain what that means, but if you're a Christian, you've done that. That is the pleasure of discipleship for which we would trade happily everything to get that. Now, Dan, um, I was born yesterday. Not quite now. I'm 30. Maybe I can stop saying that. <laughs> I grew my facial hair. I'm 30. I don't have to say that. When I started preaching, I looked 12. So I got used to saying that. But but uh, Dan, you were not born yesterday, and you've got many more years than I do. 
And so I just want to finish by asking you, as you followed Jesus and experienced the pleasure of discipleship for a much longer time than I have, has it been worth it? I think about two passages that are so helpful and so much reflective of not only my experience, but so many other saints. Paul, talking to the Corinthians, uses an expression that momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. And, you know, when I first came to Christ and got the negative responses from the people that I had associated with and been involved in, you know, wretched, sinful depravity, um, they reacted very strongly, very, very much. They were retaliatory. They were vengeful. Um, and even some of the uh, Christian people that were around me didn't fully understand the power of God to change someone. Um, but yeah, the weight of glory far beyond all comparison, the joy, the hope of my calling, as Paul says in Ephesians, that every Christian should know that, the riches of the glories of his inheritance among the saints. Yeah, that's, it's definitely worth it. You know, nothing that I had previous was even worth a thought of giving up. Um, and then I think, of course, Paul talking in Philippians and counting it all loss for the sake and the joy of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. One of the things that we have the joy of participating in as Christians is being involved in sharing the gospel, not only with our friends and neighbors, but also in holding the rope for those faithful folks that go into areas where the gospel has not been reached. And of course, one of the famous quotes from Jim Elliott on October 28, 1941, 73 years ago, he wrote in his journal, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. And so, yeah, very much worth it. Very much satisfying. And uh, I'm so, so thankful. And moved to gratitude and a, and a desire for greater obedience. Yeah. There may be somebody who's listening to this who either because of temperament or trial is wondering if it's worth it and may be able to see quite clearly the cost of discipleship, the pain of being a disciple, but has been having a hard time seeing the pleasure of it. Well, you may have thought that way in the past, but may God help us all by His grace now to think this way. Mm -hmm.